Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there <clears throat> in Luke chapter 22 this morning. And if you remember last week, if you're with us last week, we um, ended our study on the subject of judgment. We've been in a series on judgment since uh, the beginning of this year. And last Sunday night was our, la- our last Sunday morning was our last sermon in that uh, sermon on uh, judgment. And today we are going to get back into our sermon series or Bible study called Journey with Jesus. If you remember last year, I began a series called Journey with Jesus, and it really was what it was was a verse by verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And if you remember, we left off, we finished Luke chapter 21, and then I told you um, that we were going to, because we were leading into Christmas at the time, and I told you that we were going to stop Luke and that we were going to pick it back up uh, later on in the year. So that's where we are today. We're going to pick up Luke at chapter number 22, and we're going to pick up Luke now, and this is going to lead us into Easter, and uh, we'll be studying, of course, the death of Christ the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ uh, through the Gospel of Luke into the e- Easter season, and uh, just if you're taking notes or if you're if you're following along, um, we're going to jump in at Luke chapter 22. We're going to begin at verse number 24 this morning. Uh, we did not cover verses 1 through 23. I want you to know that I am aware of that. All right, I am tired, but I'm not that tired. And uh, we, we're going to cover verses 1 through 23 when we get to the time of the Lord's Supper. So we'll deal with that passage uh, during our time getting ready for the Lord's Supper here in several weeks. And uh, we're going to pick up Luke chapter 22 and verse number 24. Now, in verse 24, and what we're going to look at this morning, if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down things. We're going to look at verses 24 through 30 this morning, Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. And what we see in this passage is a discussion and an argument between the disciples. The disciples are having a discussion, and they are arguing, and they are discussing this idea of greatness. Notice there in Luke 22 and verse 24, the Bible says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. I want you to notice that word strife there. The word strife means conflict or disagreement. There was an argument among them. That's what the Bible says. There was also strife among them. The them there is referring to the disciples. What were they arguing about? Which should be accounted the greatest? And I want you to notice, and if you're taking notes, like I said, I encourage you to take notes. I want you to notice, I'm going to give you four thoughts this morning, four points, and they're going to follow uh, these four verses, verse 24, 25, 26, 27, and then we'll conclude with uh, verses 28, 29, and 30. And in Luke 22 and verse 24, you can maybe write down this little phrase. I want you to notice the strife of vain glory. In Luke 22, 24, we see the strife of vain glory. And what we see is these disciples arguing amongst themselves, striving or striving, they're fighting over uh, which of them will be the greatest. And here's where I want to begin this morning, and I want to just express this, that everyone, to an extent, wants to be great. Everyone, to, to an extent, does not... The word great means to be above average, above normal, not just normal. And all of us, to some extent, want to be great. And let me just kind of define this for you, because sometimes when you speak on this subject, people get different ideas. But when we're talking about uh, greatness, or what they're talking about, which of them should be accounted the greatest, which one's going to be the greatest, when we, when we talk about greatness, because all of us, to some extent, want to be great. And when I say that, there might be some men in the room who think to themselves, yes, because this is something that often drives men, this uh, desire uh, for for greatness, which is why they work hard at their careers, which is why they, they, they hunt and they go to war, which is why they play sports, which is why they, they wrestle, right, um, because of the desire of greatness. But there might be some of you who think, well, I don't, I don't have a desire for greatness, or maybe ladies might think, well, I don't have that desire for greatness. But when you realize that greatness is defined as being acknowledged, being appreciated, and being admired. When you realize that 
when the Bible talks about something being great or the greatness, what we're talking about is acknowledgement. You realize that everyone to an extent wants to be great because everyone to an extent wants to be acknowledged. Isn't that true? Everyone wants to be acknowledged and wants to be seen in the sense of notice what I'm doing. Notice, uh, especially if you're working, if you're helping, if, if you're a mother, you want your children to appreciate you, to acknowledge you. So everyone wants to be acknowledged. Everyone wants to be appreciated. To some extent, everyone wants to be appreciated for what they do. And to some extent, everyone wants to be admired. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company. It doesn't matter if, if you, uh, it doesn't matter where, where whatever you're doing, to, you want to do it uh, to a, an extent that people would say, wow, look at that individual. Look at what they're accomplishing. They want to be acknowledged, want to be appreciated, want to be admired. So I'm not faulting the disciples here for having the desire of greatness. And of course, this can be taken too far. Anything can be taken too far. We must live our lives within a balance. But to an extent, everyone wants to be great. And to an extent, everyone should want to be great. I don't want to be an above, I don't want to be an average pastor. And, and, and if you're a mother and, and you're a stay-at-home wife and you're a homeschooler, you, you should want to be an above-average educator. And, uh, and, and all of us, to some extent, should want to be acknowledged and appreciated and admired. And we see that here because these disciples are having this conversation. There was also strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. But I also want you to notice this, that when we promote our own greatness, it always causes problems. The issue is not having a desire to be great. You should want to be great. Hey, you should want to be the greatest husband ever. You should want to try to be the greatest wife ever, the greatest father ever, the greatest mother ever, the greatest employee or employer, pastor or church member. It doesn't matter what position you have. You should have a desire to be the best at it, to be the greatest at it. To The Bible says that whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. And when we do things with all our might, then obviously we want to be acknowledged and appreciated and to some extent admired. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. There is something wrong with promoting your own greatness. And whenever we promote our own greatness, it always causes problems. Look at the verse again, Luke 22, 24. And there was also a strife. There was an argument. There was a disagreement among them. Why? Because they were arguing which of them should be accounted the greatest. It wasn't, they weren't arguing because Peter was saying to John, no, I think you're the greatest. And John was saying to James, no, I, I think you're the best. They were arguing because Peter was saying, no, I'm the greatest. And John was saying, no, I think I'm the best. And, and, the, and the disciples were arguing among themselves, promoting their own greatness. Keep your place there in Luke 22. That's our text for this morning. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center of the Bible, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 25, and look at verse number 27. Proverbs 25, 27. Everyone to an extent wants to be great. We should understand that and we should check that. We should not let that get out of control. You say, when does it get out of control? It gets out of control when you begin to promote your own greatness and by the way, this is one of the problems, and I'm not saying everybody on social media does this, but one of the major problems that I see, and I, that I, I say I see, I don't have social media, so I don't see it, but one of the major problems that I see with social media is that it tends to have this effect where everyone is the self-promotion, promoting of self. Look how great I am. Look how, look how wonderful my life is. Look how, uh, and it becomes this, this competition, this competing, and either it's feeding your pride, because look at how great my vacation was. Look at how great my marriage is. Look at how wonderful my children are. Or it becomes this thing where people are getting discouraged and defeated and depressed because they didn't go on that vacation and they don't have that type of life. And it becomes this self-promotion. And here's what I'm saying. Whenever we begin to promote ourselves, Conflict will always arise. There's a strife of vainglory. Proverbs 25, verse 27. Notice what it said. It is not good to eat much honey, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. He says in the same way that there should be a limit, because all of us to an extent want to be great, but there should be a limit 
to that promotion of our own greatness because he says, notice the comparison, it is not good to eat much honey. Is there anything wrong with honey? No, but if you eat too much of it, it's going to make you sick. Generally speaking, the Christian life should be a balanced life. We shouldn't, whenever someone wants to just live on one extreme, they're usually wrong. And in the same way that it is not good to eat much honey, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. Here's, here's what the Proverbs is telling us. If you have to tell me how great you are, then you must not be that great. If you have to tell me how wonderful of a father you are, I always think it's funny, people, because this, isn't this with social media? You ignore your kids all year long. You don't talk to your kids all year long. But you take them on one trip for five minutes and you take 17 pictures and post them everywhere. Look how wonderful of a father I am. Look how great of a dad I am. Look how wonderful. Well, here's the thing. If you got to tell me how great of a dad you are, you must not be that great. If everything's got to be a photo op, look how wonderful of a mother I am. Look how, I'm an amazing mother. Well, you know what the Bible says that let, about the virtuous woman? Let her children arise and call her blessed. And so, so if a man to search his own glory, someone to promote themselves, say, look how great I, look how amazing I, well, look, if you're that great and you're that amazing, you don't need to announce it. We should be able to look at you and say, wow, look at that individual. That's an impressive individual. So for men to search their own glory is not glory. Look at Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that there's, there, there, there's a time and a place, obviously, you know, one thing that we use social media for is not to promote myself personally, but to promote this ministry in Verity Baptist Church. And, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you've got a business and, and, and you've got to make sales, and, then definitely promote your products, promote the things you're doing. You know, one, one thing that my wife and I have, have, have endeavored not to do we, on, and again, we don't have personal social media accounts. The, the closest thing we've got is, is social media, the Verity Baptist Church social media, and we'll promote the youth rally and we'll promote things that are done for church. But you know, one thing that we've tried not to do is just to promote our own personal things that we do within our marriage and with, within our children. You say, why? Because we're not doing it for vainglory. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to tell you how great of a dad I, I, I am or want to be, or my wife doesn't need to tell you. Look, you, you should be able to look at my children and, and think, okay, he's doing a good job. Amen. She's doing a good job. A man to search their own glory is not glory. Notice Proverbs 13 and verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention. The problem with promoting yourself is that it's prideful. And whenever pride steps in, there will be contention. This is why the Bible says that there was a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Why? Because only by pride cometh contention. And whenever there's contention, just, just, just mark it down. And you may not like me saying this, but it's what the Bible says. Whenever there is conflict, whenever there's contention, whenever there's an argument, whenever there's a debate, it, mark it down. At least one member in that argument is being prideful, and usually both are being prideful. Because only by pride cometh contention. So we see here in Luke 22, go back to Luke 22 if you would, and verse 24, we see the strife of vain glory. Everyone to an extent wants to be great, but when we promote ourselves, when we promote our own greatness, for men to search their own glory is not glory. Go to Galatians chapter 5. You're there in Luke. You'll go past John, past Acts, past Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And look, I'm not, I'm not telling you to be bad for you. I'm, I'm not trying to guilt you into quitting social media, although I think if some of you quit social media, it might revolutionize your life. You might be shocked how much Bible reading you can get done and how much you can get accomplished. Sometimes people, after a week like this, sometimes people will ask my wife and I and say something like, man, I don't understand. How do you guys get it all done? Well, one way we get it all done is by not spending three hours on Facebook every day. Just, just saying. Galatians 
Notice what the Bible says. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. The word vain means empty, shallow. It's glory, but it's empty, shallow glory when it's self-promotion. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. Notice, provoking one another, envying one another. Whenever there's a self-promotion, there's always going to be conflict. There's going to be a provoking of one another, an envying of one another. Go to Philippians chapter 2. You're there in Galatians. Pass Ephesians into Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done, notice it, through strife or vain glory. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Why? Because only by pride cometh contention. Look at the last part of verse 3. But in lowliness of mind, what is that? That's humility. Let each esteem other better than themselves. So we see this idea of the strife of vain glory. Whenever someone promotes themselves, whenever someone puts themselves first, whenever someone says, no, I'm better, no, I'm greater, no, I get to go first, no, it's my, I'm the most important one, there will be strife. And the disciples are no better. Keep your place there in Philippians 2. We're going to come back to it. Please place a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Philippians chapter 2. We see there in Luke Go back to Luke, if you would, Luke 22 and verse 24. In verse 24, we see the strife of vain glory, and there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be counted the greatest? And I'd like you to notice in verse 25 of Luke 22, Jesus steps in to this conversation, to this discussion, to this argument. And I want you to notice that he speaks to us regarding this idea of greatness. And next to verse 25, if you wrote next to verse 24, maybe in the margin of your Bible or in your notes, uh, the strife of vainglory, then you can write next to verse 25, the status quo. The status quo. Notice verse 25, notice what Jesus says. And he, Jesus, said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Jesus steps in to this conversation. And because remember, the disciples are arguing about who shall be the greatest. Who's the greatest? There's strife and conflict. I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are. No, I should be first. No, I'm the greatest. And then Jesus steps in and he begins to make an observation about the status quo, about the way that things are in the real world or secular world. He says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Now he's not saying this uh, as an approval. He's simply saying it as an observation because in verse 26 he says but ye shall not be so. So he's not saying this is what you should try to be. He's just saying hey guys you are right now trying to be what everyone else tries to be. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. He says, look, the status quo is to promote yourself and to try to get as many people to submit to you and to serve you as much as possible. You're there in Luke 22. Flip back to Matthew chapter 20. If you go backwards, you go past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20. This is one of the reasons why I, 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 I can't stand politicians. Because politicians are just constantly telling you how great they are. Well, you don't have to tell me how great you are. Just be great. Amen. Just get an office and do, and do great things, and then I'll know. But to sit there and just say, I'm the greatest this, I'm the greatest that. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Matthew 20, verse 29, uh, 25. Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion. See the word dominion there? It's where we get the same word meaning to dominate. They exercise dominion over them. They dominate them, and they that are great, this is the world standard. This is a status quo. This is what Jesus said. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. You know what the world calls greatness is 
How many people can I get to serve me? How many people can I get to go along with me? How many people can I have authority over? That's what the world, because, but, but why? Because everyone, to an extent, wants to be acknowledged. Everyone, to an extent, wants to be appreciated. Everyone, to an extent, wants to be, uh, wants to be uh, uh, admired. So the way the world does that is by exercising lordship and authority upon exercising dominion and authority upon people. That's what the world tells you. The world tells you that you need to, if you're going, look, this, the, the world tells you, you've got to look out for number one. And when they say look out for number one, they don't mean the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> who is actually the number one. Amen. But in all things, he might have the preeminence. When they say, oh, you know, I'm just looking out for number one, they're talking about themselves. It's a dog-eat-dog world. You know, you just gotta, you gotta climb that ladder and sometimes you gotta step over people. That's what the world says. The world tells you, if you wanna succeed in life, if you wanna be great, you're gonna have to climb over people, you're gonna have to be, uh, do wrong to people, you're gonna have to steal and cheat or, or just not be as honest or just, you're gonna have to be ruthless, you're gonna have to be a beast. That's what the Bible calls the Antichrist, by the way. Go to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. If you can find the one and two books, they're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 1st Kings chapter 12. The status quo is that the world measures greatness by how well we are served, right? Because you look at the world's great, the world's greatness. Who does the world consider great? Athletes, professional athletes, the Hollywood stars, billionaires. I mean, what, what does the world consider great? The world says, if you've got an entourage of people serving you hand and foot, if you've got an entourage of people that are making sure you're taken care of and you're pampered, then you must be great. So the world thinks the more I'm being served, the more people are serving me, the more people are concerned with me, that must mean I'm great. Let me tell you something. That does not mean you're great. (laughs) Even by the world standards, that does not mean you're great. But it's funny that we get this idea in our heads, the world gets this idea that says, the more I can get people to serve me, the greater I am. The world's measure of greatness is how well can I be served. And it becomes a self-serving culture. First Kings chapter 12, we have an example here of this. I think it's an interesting example. It's one of my favorite examples regarding leadership in the Bible. I've shown this to you in the past. First Kings 12, look at verse 1. And Rehoboam, of course, if you know the story, Rehoboam is Solomon's son. King Solomon is dead. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. King Solomon has died. Rehoboam is his son. He's going to be taking his rightful place of authority as the king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, Jeroboam, is not Rehoboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's king. Jeroboam is Solomon's enemy. When Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. Notice what they said. Say, thy father made our yoke. The word yoke there is referring to workload. Our father made, uh, thy father made our yoke grievous. They said, your father Solomon made our yoke, our workload, very grievous, very serious. He put a lot of work on us. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. Now, what are they saying? They're they're saying a couple of things, and this is why I I think, you know, I just think you ought to read the Bible. The Bible is the greatest book in the world. 
and, and the, the psychology and the philosophy that you find in the Bible just cannot be found anywhere else. Because there, there's so much regarding leadership in this one chapter here with Rehoboam. Because what they are saying to Rehoboam, they're not saying these words, but what they're saying is this, Solomon put a heavy load on us. But notice, they're not complaining about Solomon. Solomon was the greatest king they ever had. Solomon, as far as physical need, probably did more for the nation of Israel and to help the nation of Israel than any other king had done. They had no problem working hard for Solomon because Solomon had worked hard for them. See, in leadership, what we need to understand, those of us that have positions of leadership, is this, that you can work your people hard as long as you work hard for your people. They'll follow you into these crazy youth rally hours and red-hot preaching conference hours, and they'll go to the emergency rooms for wrestling and all sorts of crazy things. As long as they know you're, you're in it with them. Solomon had, had worked hard for them, and they, as a result, worked hard for Solomon. They worked hard together, but now there was this new guy. And this new guy had not yet done anything for them. So what do they say? Look at the last part of verse 4. They make a request. They say, his heavy yoke which he put upon us, they ask, make it lighter and we will serve you. You know what they're asking? They're not saying these words, but here's what they're asking. Here's what they're saying to Rehoboam. They're saying, can you help us? Can you help us? This was really the first test of leadership for Rehoboam because what a leader does is he helps. They said, can you help us? If you help us, we will serve thee. And he said unto them, depart ye for three days. Then come again to me and the people departed. He said, let me think about it. By the way, I think that was a great answer. He said, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me talk to some people. Now, Rehoboam makes a very bad decision, but up to this point, that was a good choice. And then he makes another good choice. Verse 6, and King Rehoboam consulted with the old men. He was a young king. So he went to some people who had experience, and he asked them. By the way, young people, when you first get married, you know who you should be asking advice of? is people who have been married successfully for a long time. Not your buddy, who's still single. He went to the old men. He went to people with some experience. People who worked. Solomon's gone. He can't ask Solomon. But he can ask the people who worked with Solomon. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old man that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived. And said, how do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, if thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them. What is he saying? What are they saying? They're not saying go become a slave to the people. But what they're saying is, hey, Rehoboam, if you would practice what, the Bi- what we call, what the Bible teaches, servant leadership. Yes, you're the king. Yes, you're in charge. Yes, you have the authority. But use your authority to help people. Use your authority to serve others. Use your authority and lead for the benefit of others. They said, if thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. If you serve them, they said, they will be grateful And they will acknowledge it. And they will appreciate it. And they will admire it. And they will respect you. And you'll be great. Here was his downfall, verse 8. But he, Rehoboam, forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men. Now, nothing wrong with young men, but young men, because they're young, they don't have experience. They were as inexperienced as he was. 
He consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken unto me, saying, Make thy yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto them, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, Here's their response. They said, Here's what you should tell these people. My little finger shall be thicker than my my father's loins. He said, you think my father was tough? I'm going to be tougher. And now, whereas my father did lay, the word lay means burden you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. He said, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be harder. And look, here's what I'm saying. And you may, this is just an observation. This is just a, a truth of leadership. You may, like, you may like it. You may not like it. It doesn't really matter what you like or don't like. It's just the truth of the Bible. And the truth of the Bible is this, that we as leaders earn our right to lead, and we learn, earn our right to put a workload on people. And here, here's all I'm saying is that when you have a pastor and a pastor's wife who for 12 years have worked hard, have stayed up late, have been there when you needed us, have been there late at night in your home during your chaos, during your tragedies, during the, th- the things that are... When, when, you, when you know that we're here for you, you know that we love you, you know, then we can ask of you to work hard with us. But here's all I'm saying is if, if, if I died tomorrow and some young guy sh- uh, became the pastor of Verity Baptist Church... What I would counsel him, if I could counsel him, is you ease into it. Don't expect so much till you've proven that you're going to work hard too. Don't expect people to serve and help you until you've proven that you're going to serve and help them. This is what the young man did not understand. See, Solomon did not begin on day one with this heavy burden. He earned that credibility. He earned that respect. He earned that. And as he grew, so grew the workload. So grew the ministry. So grew what he was doing. But now Rehoboam is being told, hey, why don't you step back and do what Solomon did when he was your age and help the people. Serve the people. Of course, he takes the wrong advice and look at the result. Verse 19, 1 Kings 12, verse 19. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, and they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. This is, of course, when we have the famous split between the kingdom. The nation of Israel was one nation under the reign of Saul, under the reign of David, under the reign of Solomon. But due to Rehoboam, and of course we know that this was of God, but due to Rehoboam's uh, uh, pride and arrogancy, the kingdom split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And look, here's all I'm telling you, is that the status quo, the world says, if I can get as many people to serve me, then that must make me great. But here's the truth. When we are self-serving, we will actually be despised. You may be the king. You may be the boss. You may have the position of authority. You may be the manager. You may be the pastor. You may be the husband. You may be the father. But listen to me. It does not matter what position of authority you have. When you serve others, they'll love you for it. But when you're self-serving, they will despise you. I wish some of you would get this. Husbands who see their wives as a slave to fulfill their needs... Because the Bible says that wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands who see their wives, not they, they don't see themselves as a leader to serve others and to say, well, I'm the husband and my job is to lead for the benefit of my wife. My job is to lead for the benefit of my children. My, wife, my job is to, is to leverage my authority, leverage my resources, leverage what I have to help those that are following me. When you do not see your position as that, and yet you, and you see your position more like, well, she's, she's just my slave. The, God gave me these children so that I could have slaves. Those children will hate you. That wife will hate you. 
And this, and look, and, and then people want to take this on the streets. You hear me say that, and then people think, you know, the kids go home after the service. See, Dad, you don't ask me to clean the room. I'm not your slave. That's not what I said. Children should work. Wives should work. Employees should work. But here's all I'm telling you, leader, is that when you serve and love and lead and invest and you serve for the benefit of others, that wife will willingly submit to your authority. Those children will obey you and respect you because they know that you have, they may not like everything you say, but they will know that you have their best interest in mind. But when your follower can acknowledge that you're in it for yourself, that you're just trying to get the most service, squeeze the most service, they will hate you. And look, and it doesn't matter. You say, okay, what if I'm not the leader? Okay, the wife who's self-serving, the wife who disrespects and treats her husband and uses her husband as a tool. The wife who says, oh, I'm a submissive wife until my husband does something I don't like. And then I turn into a monster. And I'm going to just make his life miserable till he does what I want. Well, let me tell you something. In that relationship, you're actually in charge. Right. Wife and your husband will hate you and resent you for it. I don't think you should be saying I'm just telling you the truth. I'm a submissive wife till he does something I don't like. Then I'll become this angry monster of a woman till he just crumbles and submits to my will. Is that really what you you? Yeah, that's a meek and quiet spirit. And then you wonder why your husband doesn't want to come home. Look, I'm just trying to help you out. I'm not trying to mean to you. I'm just telling you. When we, it doesn't matter, you're the leader or you're the follower. When we are self-serving, it's not great. It actually makes people hate you. That's why they leave. That's why divorce. That's why they quit the church. Say, why why do people quit churches? You know, usually a lot of times, I'm not saying it's all the time, but a lot of times it's because people realize this pastor's in it for themselves. People don't mind working hard as long as they know you're working hard for them too. Go back to Luke 22. In verse 24, we see the strife of vain glory. So so please don't misunderstand me. Kids should, should work hard. Make them have chores. But you know, in our home, our children don't feel like they're our slaves. We try to teach them no, you're going to do these things because you need to be responsible. We, we cleaned the house before you were born. In fact, the house was cleaner before you were born. <laughs> and we will continue to clean the house after you're gone. The reason we make you clean the house is not because we need you to clean the house. The reason we need you to clean the house is because you need to learn responsibility. You need to learn you're not, that we're not your slave. So in some things, it's not what's being done, but why it's being done and with what spirit it's being done. We saw in verse 24, the strife of vainglory. We saw in verse 25, the status quo. Then I want you to notice in verse 26, we see the service mandate. The service mandate. Here's what Jesus says. He talks about the status quo. He says, in the world, the kings, they have authority and dominion over you. And then in verse 26, he says, but ye shall not so be. Notice verse 26, but ye shall not so be, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. Jesus says there's a mandate for service. Here's what he's he's teaching the disciples. He's teaching the disciples. You want to be great? You want to be great? Here's how you do it. You serve others. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. And again, servant leadership does not mean that the leader has to do the chores of the servants. If I can use those terms. Servant leadership does not mean, husband, that you go home and do the dishes and you cook. Now, if you send your wife off to work, then you should do the dishes and cook and you should split that. But servant leadership does not mean that, that the husband goes and works 40, 50 hours a week 
And then he also comes home and does the dishes and, and, and does the laundry while his wife, you know, sits at home and just is on Facebook all day. That's not servant leadership. Servant leadership is not that the leader has to serve, although the leader should be willing to serve. Servant leadership is that the leader uses his position to serve others, to help others. He leverages his authority and his influence and his resources and his relationships to serve others. So that they will say, my life is better. So that the children will say, my life is better because of my dad. So that the wife will say, my, my life is better because of my husband. So that, Lord willing, the church people will say, our lives are better because of the shepherd that God has given us. Amen. Philippians 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. You see how that's different than the, the strife of greatness the disciples were having? They were saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Jesus says, no, no, no. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, what does that produce? Verse 4, look not every man on his own things. Everyone's always concerned about themselves. What about me? What about my rights? That's not fair to me. Jesus says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He said, why don't you be concerned with other people's problems, other people's trials, what's going on in other people's lives? Look at verse 21, the same chapter. For all seek their own. Everyone's always just interested in themselves. And here's all the Bible is teaching. If my outlook is, a, is selfish, my outcome will be divisive and destructive. If my outlook is selfish, if, if all I'm focused on is myself and what's right for me and what's best for me, then my outcome will be divisive and destructive. If my outlook is self-sacrificing, then my outcome will be edifying and unifying. Go back to Luke 22. So in verse 24, we see the strife of vainglory. In verse 25, we see the status quo. In verse 26, we see the service mandate. What is the service mandate? The service mandate is that we should live for others, that we should serve others. That we should live to try to help others. That doesn't mean we do other people's jobs, but it means that we leverage wherever, whatever position we have, authority we have, influence we have, we leverage that to esteem others better than ourselves. To help others. We see the strife of vainglory, verse 24, the status quo, verse 25, the service mandate, verse 26. And then in verse 27, Jesus, the master teacher, he booked it all together in verse 27, and we see the secret to greatness. Because remember, that's what they were fighting about in verse 24, the strife of vain glory. Who is the greatest? I want to be the greatest. No, I want to be the greatest. No, I think I'm the greatest. And in verse 27, Jesus says, let me give you the secret to greatness. He says, for whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth. Is not he that sitteth at meat? And again, he's bringing up this idea of the status quo. He says, whether is greater, which one of these is greater? The one that's sitting at meat or he that's serving? The guy that's being served or the guy that's doing the serving? The guy that's sitting at the table and having somebody bring him the steak dinner and the mashed potatoes and the bread. Who's greater, that guy or the guy that's bringing him the steak dinner, bringing him the mashed potatoes, bringing him... The, the bread, by the world's standard, we're saying, well, this guy's greater. That guy's just a servant. Jesus says, for whether is greater, he that sitteth at me, or he that serveth is not the, he that sitteth at me. He said, by, by the world's standard, isn't he that sitteth at me? Isn't the guy sitting for dinner? Isn't he greater? And then Jesus says, but I am among you as he that serveth. Amen. You know that there's not a greater person that's ever lived than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. Obviously, I would hope that in a room full of Baptists, you would all agree with that and say that amen. amen. I, I would imagine that among Christians, we would all say that. I'm just saying, even by the world standards, even by the world standards, when we're talking about who has impacted the world, who has more influence in the world, who has more respect, more acknowledgement, been admired, I mean, who? Name the historical figure. George Washington? 
Alexander the Great? Caesar? Name one historical figure, even, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the uh, God in, in the flesh. Tell me of a figure that has had more impact and more influence than the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't acknowledge the date without saying 2023. 2023. 2023 what? Today is March, whatever, what's the date? March 12, 2023. 2023 says when? Has the world been around? For, I mean, if you ask the world, even, the, even don't, not, not Christians, just secular. Has the world been around for 2020? No, well, it's been around for billions and billions of years, which is not true either. 20, since 2023, since when? Since the birth of who? Since the birth of Alexander the Great. Since the birth of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, does the whole world on December 25th just stop to celebrate the birth of John Adams? The two greatest holidays across the world celebrate the birth and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even for atheists. The greatest man who's ever lived said, I am among you as he that serveth. Go to Matthew 20. If you would, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. See, Jesus understood something that we all need to understand. Is that the secret to greatness is serving others. The secret to greatness is not how many people I can get to help me, but how many people I can help. Not how many people I can get to serve me, but how many people I can serve. In Matthew 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Notice, he said, I didn't come to be ministered. The word minister means to serve. Uh, I did not come to be served but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And then it's interesting to me because right in the context of this verse, we see him do that, verse 29. And as he departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside. When they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the great multitude rebuked them because that they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said. Now remember, in verse 28, he just got done telling us that the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And then in verse 20, uh, 32, we see a beautiful picture of that. You have these blind men calling unto Jesus. And Jesus stood still and called them and said. Notice this little phrase. Notice this question. He says, What will ye that I shall do unto you? What's he asking? Here's what he's basically asking is, how can I help you? One, one phrase that I've, one question that I've tried to make a phrase, a common phrase that comes out of my mouth. I've tried to do this. I'm not saying I've been successful at it. I try to ask this question as much as possible. How can I help? People often come to me as a pastor with issues and problems. I try to let this be a statement that is near to my tongue. How can I help? Because Jesus is saying, what will ye that I should do unto you? What is he asking? He's, he's saying, how can I help you? The question that he's asking is, how can I lean into you? How can I use my time, my money, my talent, my authority, my ability, my resources, my, my, my relationship to help to better you? Because most everyone else in this world is asking, how can you help me? But greatness is asking, how can I help you? True greatness is not defined by how well others serve me, but how well I serve others. Greatness is not found in personal success, but in the success of others. If you help people get what they need, And even if you can, what they want, as long as it's not sinful, you'll find that you'll have everything you need. And oftentimes, you'll have everything you want. This does not take away from the leadership of a husband. It fulfills it. 
This does not take away from the role of a wife. It fulfills it. Parents, you ought to look at your job as my job is to leverage who I am to help these children grow up to be who God has called them to be. And I'm just telling you, if you serve your employees, I didn't say do your employee's job. I don't do my employee's job. If I did my employee's job, I'd get rid of them. (laughs) But I do try to lead to help them. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm saying using your resources. And look, this works whether you're the leader or not. Let me just give you some real quick examples. Esther, you don't have to turn there. Remember Esther? She wasn't in charge. She wasn't the king. In Esther 4 and verse 14, the Bible says, this is Mordecai speaking. He says, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. She wasn't in charge, but what was Mordecai was saying to her was, who knows if God has allowed you to take this position of queen, This position of influence. Who knows if you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. What about Joseph? Joseph in in, in Genesis 50 and verse 20. You don't have to turn there. It says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. This is Joseph speaking to his brothers that sold him into slavery. He says, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. What about Nehemiah, who was the, the king's cupbearer, but yet his heart broke over the condition of his people. And what did he do? He used his position. He used his influence. He was not the king, but he used whatever he had at his disposal, and he leveraged it to help others. You got to ask the question, how can I help? Honestly, let me say it this way, and I, I don't mean to offend you. I'm just trying to help you. Go back to Luke 22. You ought to look in your life to be a help, not a hindrance. You ought to try to be a blessing, not a burden. Look, I realize we all need help from time to time. I'm not against you. If you, you find yourself in a position where you need help, I'm not. Well, look, we're here to help. I'm not speaking against you. But what I am saying is that we should all be working towards the place where we can be a blessing, not a burden, a help, not a hindrance. Because that's what true greatness is. True greatness is, you say, I want to be acknowledged. I want to be appreciated. I want to be admired. Well, no one's going to appreciate your amazing vacations. They might envy them. They might give you a thumbs up or whatever people give you on Facebook. But nobody's saying, like, your amazing vacation changed my life. (laughs) No one's going to show up at your funeral and say, I just want to acknowledge the fact. I just want to appreciate that. I just admire that all those pictures on Facebook just made me feel like garbage all the time. They were great. (laughs) But people might stand up at your funeral and say, she was a friend. She was there when I needed her. He was there for me. During hard times, during difficult times. My life was a mess, and and they were there when I, and I know it was hard for them, but that's what gets you acknowledgement. That's what gets you appreciation. That's what gets admiration. Is when we live our lives for others. So look, try, try to be a help. Not a hindrance. A blessing, not a burden. You know, this week we had this youth rally. And we had this big wrestling show. And I think it was a success. I think everybody had a good time. I think the kids had a great time. And I, and I appreciate, you know, every, everyone involved. And, and, and um, of course, you know, I don't, I don't want to give all the names because I'll forget someone. Obviously, we had ladies helping with the decorations and the food and, and men grilling and setting up and cleaning and all these things. And guys, you know, all these guys with the wrestling show. And I, and I appreciate all of them. You know, I, do, I, I want to give you kind of an example of what I mean by be a blessing, not a burden. And be a help, not a hindrance. <clears throat> because this wrestling show, honestly, was, was kind of a nightmare, to be honest with you. <laughs> 
I mean, several, several years ago, uh, Brother Josh Lunsford and, and my niece Rebecca got, got married, and they had this wrestling show at their, at their wedding. And, um, and, you know, I thought it was weird at a wedding, but whatever. <laughs> I noticed the kids really liked it. So I told Brother Josh, like, hey, when we have a youth rally, we should do a wrestling show, you know. And, uh, and of course, we didn't have the first youth rally because it didn't work out, and we had it uh, this, this year for the first time. And, and when, when we started, you know, we, we had to go through several wrestlers. And when, when we started this thing, it was originally supposed to be Brother Josh and Brother Moses wrestling. But, but Moses, my nephew, um, he, he got just super busy at work, and he just didn't have the time um, free to be able to commit to, to getting everything done. So, we, so he found his calling as a referee. And, um, and he was a great referee. You know, he did, he did a great job. He just didn't have the time. You know, obviously, he's a young guy. He's working. He's supporting a family. has a baby on the way. Just didn't have the time to be able to um, devote into it. So then we're, you know, we're looking at this, and I'm like, okay, well, um, it's gonna, you know, this takes a lot of time. You know, it's a skill to get hit over the head with a frying pan. You know, I, it may not seem like it. So, so then we, I had brother, uh, brother Shaw, you know, Brother Shaw, because I thought, okay, well, well, Brother Shaw works for me, so I can just clear a schedule. I can just make, you know, he has three hours a day or whatever to, like, do this. So Brother Shaw started training and, and wrestling. But, but then Brother Shaw uh, got injured and, and got a concussion, allegedly. And, um, and, and, you know, so then the, the, the doctor's just like, you know, he can't wrestle. Because you, you can't, you know, you, or, you know, you, you're not supposed to. My wife was looking it up, and it's like, we don't want to re-injure your head after you have a concussion. So, so then that was like, like, we had like three weeks or like a couple of weeks before the wrestling show. So then we're like, we don't have a wrestler. So then Brother Josh calls his, his friend who wrestled with him at, at, at the wedding, and he's like, I, I think he could do it. But then it was this thing where, like, could he get the time off of work because it was kind of short notice. I, I, I want to say it was like a week, a week before the, 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 the show. It was a, we had one week before the youth rally, and we're, like, looking for a wrestler. And, and, we're, and we're like, okay, he's worked at this place. He works late. Let's see if we can get the time off. So my wife and I were just praying, you know, that he can get the time off of work. And he's going to go in there and ask the manager. And it was like he gets off of work real late, like 11, 10, 15. I'm saying. Uh, he, he got off late, like 11 or midnight or something. And I'm telling Josh, like, you just call me. It doesn't matter what time. It's 1 in the morning and let me know because we're praying that he gets the time off work. So he gets the time off of work. So then him and Josh start practicing. I mean, we have a week to get this thing done. They, they start practicing. It's going well. Then his friend goes into work. This has nothing to do with wrestling. He just goes into work. He's just at work one day, and he collapses. And he just goes. This is like three days before the, the, the youth rally. He goes to the emergency room, and it turns out he had some heart condition his whole life that he never knew of. And, and, and the, the doctor's like, you're not wrestling. And this is literally like just a couple of days before the youth rally. And... You know, but one, one thing that I want to say, and I'm just I'm bringing this up to, 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 to give this example. One thing that I appreciate about Brother Josh is I get a call from, I mean, it was probably like midnight. And, um, and you know, as a pastor, I, I, I leave uh, my phone on 24 hours a day because, you know, someone's always in trouble. <laughs> and um, so he calls me at midnight, and he's telling me this, what I just told you about, about his friend. This is like three days before the youth rally, and he's telling me, like, he's in the hospital, he has this heart condition, he can't, you know, wrestle, can't, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, what, you know, like, freaking out in my head, like, what are we going to do? Like, literally, we have, like, three days before. But I, I'm thankful because brother, brother Josh says, but, but I called everyone I know that wrestled, because he used to wrestle when he was a kid, so he knows all these wrestlers. He's like, I called everyone I know. So there was another, here's the other problem. The other problem is that a, a bunch of these wrestlers weren't answering him because on the night of the youth rally, like the big WWE, that's like the big wrestling show, they were actually in Sacramento doing a show on Wednesday night. So all these wrestlers were there, you know, like at their big WWE show, whatever. So he's calling every wrestler he knows. He finally finds this guy, Christian Sky, and, and, and he agrees to do it, and he did a great job. I mean, he was perfect, phenomenal. But here's what I appreciate about Brother Josh is he, he calls me. It's like 1 in the morning, and he's like, this is what happened to my friend. He, he has this heart condition again. And I'm just like, I'm telling my wife, like, I'm like, this is not good, <laughs> you know, whatever. And then he, but he says to me, like, but I found this guy, Christian Sky. 
And he asked me, you know, would it be okay to bring in a professional? And I'm like, absolutely. And here's, here's the point that I'm saying. Is over, over 12 years of ministry, I've learned that this is how most people deal with problems. Once they, like, have some failure or some problem, they just bring it to me. And they're like, sorry, here's a big letdown for you. You deal with it. Like, that's how most people would have done it. I mean, most people would have been like, sorry, three days before the youth rally, you figure it out, pastor. And then it would have been like, you know, you know what I appreciate about Brother Josh is that he not only did he, did he bring me the problem, which he needed to, but he also brought me a solution. Amen. You know what that is? That's called being a help, not a hindrance. Amen. That's called being a blessing, not a burden. I often teach our staff, I, I, try, I tell our staff, you know, bring, I want to know everything. Bring me all the problems. Don't hide anything from me. If you hide stuff from me, that's going to piss me off. But at the same time, when you bring me a problem, why don't you brainstorm one or two or three solutions and bring me some solutions with the problems? And I may not like your solutions, but at least I'll know you tried. You know, so I, I appreciate for uh, brother, brother Josh because he's like, this is a big problem. This is a major problem. He's like, but here's a solution. And I even told him on the phone, I said, like, wow, thank you. Like, this, this was going to ruin the rest of my night. Like, this was going to make me and my wife be stressed out for, like, the next three hours. And this is what he said to me. He's like, well, I've been stressed out for the last three hours because <laughs> I found out about this a couple of hours ago, and I've just been calling around trying to find people. But here's what I'm saying. That's somebody trying to be helpful. Amen. So, you know, Brother Josh, God bless you. He was the MVP of the youth rally. Right, let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> Here's all I'm saying, is greatness is not, here's my problems, you deal with it. Greatness is saying, here's a problem, how can I help? How can I leverage who I am, who I know, the resources I have, the relationships I have, the influences I have, to try to help? And, you know, maybe it wouldn't have worked out. Maybe I would have had to stand up at the youth rally and said, sorry, kids. I know we told you there's a wrestling show, but everybody's dead. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, at least go out swinging. Amen. At least go out trying. It's called tenacity. Amen. You stick with it. See, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to overcome. We're going to get this thing done. Amen. It's called being a help, not a hindrance. A blessing, not a burden. Go back to Luke 22. Let's finish this thing up. So, well, Pastor, you brought up Brother Josh, and what about me? You know. <laughs> Luke 22, verse 28. Here's the truth. Sometimes in this world, you don't get the appreciation. You don't get the acknowledgement. You don't get the admiration you think you deserve. I mean, I'll be honest with you. In ministry, I would say my wife and I, our, our, our life verse in ministry is, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. And we've tried to do that. But you know, there are some times when, when you just give of yourself and you give your all and you put it all out there and you give it all and then you're done. It's done. And you're just kind of standing there. You're like, I did it. And then people, they're like, do more. Can you give us more? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Can you be there for this? Can you be there for that? You know, honestly, sometimes you don't feel appreciated. You don't feel acknowledged. You don't feel admired. You say, how do you deal with that? Well, notice what Jesus said, Luke 22, verse 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink, at my table, in my kingdom, and sit on the throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You know what Jesus was telling them? He was telling them, you serve others and you'll be great. But if you don't get the acknowledgement, you don't get the appreciation, you don't get the admiration, he says, one day in heaven you will. Amen. And you know what? Maybe you do serve and maybe you do help and maybe you do everything you're supposed to do and you say, no one sees it, no one admires it. Pastor didn't bring me up. I brought cookies. You should have told a story about how my cookies burned and I had to go to the store and buy other one. You know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not minimizing you if you brought cookies. If you brought cookies, we appreciate you. Thank you. I'm just saying sometimes we serve 
and it's not acknowledged. <coughs> Sometimes we serve and it's not appreciated. Sometimes we don't get the acknowledgement, the appreciation, the admiration you do, but let me tell you something. When you serve God, you will. Amen. You may have to wait till heaven, but you know, I'd rather get it in heaven anyway. Amen. I'd rather get my rewards in heaven than here on earth. Amen. I'd rather get the acknowledgement in heaven than here on earth. I'd rather be great in heaven than here on earth. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this passage. The secret to greatness. I pray you'd help us to learn it. Help us to be people who overcome. Help us to be people with tenacity. I realize everybody needs help from time to time. I get that. And I'm not against that. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help. But help us, Lord, when we find ourselves in a place where we can be a help, help us to be a help, not a hindrance. Help us to be a blessing, not a burden. Help us to realize that the secret to greatness is serving others, is helping others, is loving others. And if we don't get the acknowledgement here on earth, Help us to realize that you will make all things right in heaven. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you, of course.